This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. You guys can be seated. And turning your Bibles to Psalm 16, we are in the midst of a series on the Psalms called Summer in the Psalms. So we're taking the summer to look at some, some favorite uh, Psalms from God's Word. And Psalm 16 is a beautiful Psalm of, of confidence. And, and I've titled this message, The Beauty of the God-Centered Life. So Psalm 16, if you'll find that in your copy of God's Word, and we're gonna read this Psalm and then we're going to join together in, in singing, and I'm going to come back up and preach the message. So after we read, keep your spot, keep your spot in your Bible or your, your tablet, whatever you're using uh, for your Bible uh, today here or at, at home. It's always so important to follow along with the message with an open uh, Bible. So let's look at it together. Psalm 16 is a psalm of, of David. And we see here just a, a, a focus, a centeredness on God in this beautiful psalm. It says, protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have nothing good besides you. As for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones. All my delight is in them. The sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood, and I will not speak their names with my lips. Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who counsels me even at night when my thoughts trouble me. I always let the Lord guide me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely, for you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence, there is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. Yeah, David here is just exploding with praise at the goodness of of God. Let's stand and sing about that right now. You can be seated. Oh Lord, we're so thankful uh, for your faithfulness, thankful for your goodness. And as we dig into this psalm right now, which, which placards that before our eyes, just such a clear way, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open the eyes of our hearts that we would behold beautiful things in your word and that we would experience the beauty of a life that is centered on you. And we pray it in Christ's name, amen. Well, you know, I've heard some guys in ministry say that they, they didn't enjoy seminary a whole lot and that they just, just kind of looking forward to getting through it uh, and getting on with their ministry. But I'll tell you, I, I loved my time at Southeastern. I, I loved the opportunity uh, just to be able to, to, to study and to, to dig into the, the Word. And one of my favorite classes in seminary was a class called the Exposition 
of great Old Testament text. And it was taught by a world-renowned Old Testament professor, Dr. Gleason Archer. He would fly in from Chicago every week just to teach our, our class. And so every week we would expound a, a great Old Testament text. And one of those was Psalm 16. And I'll never forget how Dr. Archer entitled that lecture. He called it The Beauty of the God-Centered Life. And just the title (laughs) captured my heart. The beauty of the God-centered life. And indeed, what we see in Psalm 16 is the beauty of a life. We see a portrait of a life that is focused on God. And we're going to look at a couple of aspects of that focus this morning. First of all, in Psalm 16, we see a, a single focus Just about every verse in these opening verses expresses single-minded devotion. David says in verse 1, protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. Now, Psalm 16 is what scholars call a psalm of confidence, but it actually begins in verse 1 like a psalm of lament because David is, is crying out to God for his Protection. Why would David need to do that? Well, if you read the life of David, there were many times in David's life when his life was threatened and he was imperiled in some way. But listen, all of us desperately need God's protection. Now, we might not like to think about all the threats that are out there to our life, but they are out there in this fallen world. There's a section in John Calvin's Institutes where he he talks about kind of the the dangers that we all face in this fallen world. Calvin says, innumerable are the evils that beset human life. Innumerable too, the deaths that threaten it. We need not go beyond ourselves since our body is the receptacle of a thousand diseases. Now remember, Calvin lived in the 1500s, so he had lived through uh, pandemics and plagues. He knew all about that. He goes on, wherever you turn, things around you are not only are hardly to be trusted, but almost openly menace and seem to threaten immediate death. Embark upon a ship. You are one step away from death. What would Calvin say about getting on a a tube with wings on the side of it and flying thousands of feet through the air. He goes on, mount a horse. If one foot slips, your life is imperiled. What would Calvin say about cars? (laughs) You know, if the person coming towards you is uh, looking at their phone or, you know, is, uh, is falling asleep or drunk, you know, one one, one moment away from, uh, from, from death. He goes on, go through the city streets. You are subject to as many dangers as there are tiles on the roofs. If there's a weapon in your hand or a friend's, harm awaits. All the fierce animals are armed for your destruction. I, I remember the weekend that my dad taught me how to swim in the ocean and it was a Saturday and the night before I had seen Jaws for the first time. Somehow, I put that out of my mind, and I still, to this day, love the ocean. We usually, go to, we usually go to the Outer Banks during Shark Week on the Discovery Channel, and I watch it, but then I get in the ocean the, the, the next day. Uh, Calvin goes on. He says, but if you try to shut yourself up 
in a walled garden, seemingly delightful, there a serpent sometimes lies hidden, right? Even at your own house, like the snake that was slithering through my garage yesterday morning. So like there's no, what he, what is he, what's his point here? The point is that in this fallen world that we live in, there is no real safe place because even your own body is a perishable body that, that one day is going to die. Listen, unless you are alive, when Christ returns, you will die. And so therefore, you, you might as well learn how to live. And the way that we should live is, is in a dependent focus upon the Lord. But notice here that he says, protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. You know, you could live in Oklahoma in the middle of tornado country and you could have a storm shelter in your house, but if you didn't take refuge when the twister was bearing down on you, then you would not have protection. If, if you hear that a category five hurricane is approaching and you have ample warning, then you have to flee. You must take refuge. So how do we take refuge in God who is our only refuge? It, it, it means hitting your knees in prayer. It means picking up your Bible and meditating on the precious promises of God. It means involving yourself in a church with brothers and sisters in Christ so that you've got a support in times of, of, of crisis and you can encourage others when they go through times of crisis and we can be a family to, to one another. Check out verse two. David says, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have nothing good besides you. Now listen, this does not deny the good things that God has provided. God has provided all kinds of, of good things for us to enjoy in our lives and the blessings of family and friends, relationships and nature and food and, and, and on and on. Um, but our problem comes when we find, try to find satisfaction and joy outside of God in sin. So why, why do we sin anyway? We always sin because we think that in sinning, we're going to find more satisfaction and joy than in not sinning. Now intellectually, if we're Christians, we know that's not true. We know that sin is ultimately self-destructive, but yet what do you do in the moment of temptation? In, the, in every moment of temptation, we have to remind ourselves to believe the truth. And we have to say, God, I know that, that you and the things that you have for me are so much better than anything that sin is promising in this moment. Because every good and perfect gift comes from you and ultimately there is no good apart from you. That's what David is, is saying here in verse two. Look at verse three. He says, as for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones. All my delight is in them. This, this verse speaks to the importance of, of God's people and, and, and for us, our church family. And it means taking delight 
in your brothers and sisters in Christ, in the preciousness of those relationships, and guarding those relationships, and cherishing those relationships, and seeking to, to deepen those relationships. I was talking with a man from our church the other day and his wife had been sick and he, he just went on and on just about the love that he had experienced coming from this church family and, and the way that people had just reached out and, and kindness and, 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 and love. And I hear that so often uh, as, a, as a pastor. That's the blessing of the, the body of, of Christ. So let's, let's, let's delight in God's people Verse four, the sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood and I will not speak their names with my lips. Now obviously you hear David is talking about pagan rituals of his day, idolatrous rituals. Um, but idolatry is no less prevalent <laughs> in our own day. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, an idol is anything in our lives that occupies the place that should be occupied by God alone. An idol is anything by which I live and on which I depend. Anything that holds such a controlling position in my life that it moves and rouses and attracts so much of my time and attention, my energy and money. So what absorbs you? <laughs> what absorbs you you know how how do you how do you spend your your energy and your time and your money we have to be careful lest we ourselves be pouring out libations of blood to a false god look at verse 5 david says lord you are my portion and my cup of blessing you hold my future. Unfortunately, we've developed in this country a, a, false, a false gospel, the health and wealth gospel that says that basically God exists in order to, to give blessings. But here David says, Lord, you are my blessing. You are my portion. You are what I need. You are my cup of blessing. And then he says at the end of verse five, you hold my future. You know, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future, right? If we're in Christ, if we know God, he's got your future. And so therefore, as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you don't have to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Your father has your tomorrow. And when tomorrow gets here, you, he'll have mercies aplenty for you because his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness as we sung earlier. Verse six, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. John Piper says, I received a letter this morning informing me that I have come into the inheritance of unimaginable wealth. I am the legal heir now, will enjoy the best part of it the moment I die, and the rest when Jesus comes. I understand the same letter has been sent to millions. <laughs> Indeed it has. Verses seven and eight. I will bless the Lord who counsels me, even at night when my thoughts trouble me. 
I always let the Lord guide me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Now listen, we have all been in the latter part of verse seven, right? Even at night when my thoughts trouble me, we have all been there. We've, we've had those nights of tossing and turning with anxiety and our minds just spinning about something that's happening and we can't get to sleep. What do we do in those situations? What did David do in that situation? He says in verse seven, I will bless the Lord. Sometimes we have to praise our way out of those situations because when we praise we are reminded of who our God is. We are reminded of his power. We're reminded of his love. We're reminded of, of, of who he is. And so when, when our praise rises to the Lord, that's kind of like when the sun rises and it burns away the fog. As our praise rises to the Lord, it, it can burn away those fears and those worries and those anxieties as we praise and as we remember who God is, as we bless the Lord. Verse eight says, I always let the Lord guide me. Uh, I love that. Literally, it says, I always place the Lord in front of me. And so when, to, when you need to make a decision, it means that you're, you're looking to the Lord. Uh, my mom always said to us hundreds, thousands of times, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Indeed he will. Single focus. Second, savior focus, savior focus. Now let's look at verses nine and 10. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely for you will not abandon me to shield. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. Now Psalm 16 is a psalm of David, and, and yet some of the things that David is writing here clearly point beyond himself. When he talks about you will not allow your faithful one to see decay, well, we know that David did die, and that his body has been decayed for thousands of years. So who's he talking about here? He's talking about Christ. And clearly, the early believers saw that. So in Acts 2, when Peter was preaching the gospel at Pentecost, he quotes these verses from Psalm 16. Let's look at it. Acts 2 and verses 23 and following. This is Peter's sermon at Pentecost. He's preaching about Jesus. He says, though he was delivered up According to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. For David says of him, I saw the Lord 
ever before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not abandon me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You fill me with gladness in your presence. Now, Peter says in verse 29, brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades and his flesh did not experience decay. And so Peter is saying here that verse 10 is really about Jesus. Look at what Paul says at Pisidian Antioch. This is in Acts 13 and verses 35 through 37. The apostle Paul is preaching the gospel. He's preaching about Jesus. What does he say? Therefore, he also says in another passage, you will not let your holy one see decay. For David, after serving God's purpose in his own generation, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and decayed. But the one God raised up did not decay. So going back to verses 9 and 10, it's clear here that in verse 10 that he's talking about Christ. But what are the implications for those who are united to Christ by faith for you and me? Well, you have security in him. He will not abandon you to the grave. If you know Christ, then when you die, you'll be away from the body, but at home with the Lord. And when Christ returns, you're going to get a new body, an imperishable body, unlike the ones we live in now. But so many are without this hope. I was reading about James Bedford, who was a professor at the University of California, and before he died, he had expressed the desire to his family for his body to be frozen. Why? Because he hoped that future technology would allow for him to be unfrozen and to to live again. And so when he died in 1967, the nurse that was taking care of him actually went down the street from house to house getting ice as quickly as she could so that his body could be frozen. Well, that was just the beginning. Now we have like a whole industry of cryogenics where people are frozen at their death. The baseball star, Ted Williams, was frozen when he died. Uh, Larry King has expressed the desire also to be, to be frozen when he dies in the hopes that someday, perhaps, uh, he, can, he can live again, that his old frozen body uh, can, 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 can live. How bleak. Put your hope in Christ, <laughs> not cryogenics. Christ is risen and when he returns you will be raised as well not with an old frozen body but with a new glorified body that is imperishable. 1 John 3 2 says that when we see him we will be like him for we will see him as he is. Verse 11 spans from 
now through eternity. David says, you reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the life that you have given us in Christ. We thank you that our lives can be focused upon you. And we pray that by your spirit, that would be the case in each of our lives. That you would give us a single-minded focus on you and on your son. And so we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for everyone who's here today, people who are watching today. And whenever that is, Lord, we know that you, you have people to, 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 to listen to certain messages, to receive certain messages at certain times in their lives. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to people right now and that you would open hearts to see who Jesus is and to enter into the new life and the eternal life that has been provided through his shed blood on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. We pray that as your people, that we would go forth this week and that we would live for you and that we would be aware of your goodness, your faithfulness, your love, your mercy, and that that would be extended to others through our lives and through our lips. And we pray it in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, listen, God bless you uh, this week as you, you go. It's so good um, to see each one of you. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, if you're here, uh, have a time of fellowship uh, outside in, in just a few moments. If you're here and there's a need in your life for prayer, if you'd like to talk with me or pray with me, just please know I'm here for you. If you're here in this room, I'll be right outside um, and we can talk together. If you're watching this message at any point in time and there's a need in your life, you always feel free uh, to call. We would love to be there for you. God bless you. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. 
We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.